Good morning. It is so great to be with you. I am Pastor Joanne, and normally I get to attend our Scripps campus. We live a little further north, but it is so wonderful to be here. If I haven't had the chance to talk with you yet, I would love to talk with you after service. I'm married, and we have two kids, a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old, and we're at the phase of life. Tell me if you recall this, if you've had kids, uh, where if it's quiet in the house, we know something not good is going on. Anyone else? Yeah. So my husband and I, we try to steal away little moments of time where we can talk to each other. And so we're in one part of the house talking and the kids are making noise, they're playing. And then all of a sudden it gets quiet. And I'm like, where are they? They're not, I go in and check in the TV room. They're not watching a TV. They're not in the kitchen stealing snacks. I'm like, where are they? So I go upstairs, their room is upstairs. And I go upstairs and I walk in their bedroom and they're in there quietly playing together. And I think to myself, this is a miracle. <laughs> I have two boys. I wanna ask you today, do you believe in miracles? Like really, do you believe that God has the power and the will and the ability to change something? Now, I don't know that that was a miracle. It was a miracle in my mind that my boys were getting along together. But do you believe? We're going to be talking today and looking at a story in the Bible of a miracle that Jesus did. Because when we, we're in this series called At the Table, when we come to the table, when Jesus is a part of our conversation, a part of our mealtime, part of our daily lives, miracles happen. And I'm not just going to share a story with you from the Bible about a miracle. I'm going to share some of the miracles that are happening, something that's happened in my life as well. You see, for hundreds of years back in the, in, after, in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there were hundreds of years where God was silent and there wasn't a lot going on. There was no more prophecy. There was no more miracles. There might've been things, but they're not recorded for us. But there was this period of silence and so when Jesus came into the world, it was a really dark time and people were looking for hope. They were looking for something to believe in, something that could change their circumstances because about 10% of the entire population at the time where Jesus came into the world was, was wealthy. Only 10% was wealthy and everyone else, the other 90% were poor, were the down and outers. Talk about wealth disparity. It was an incredible time of racial divisiveness. You see, the Romans controlled everything. And the Jews, who were not part of the Roman culture, they were oftentimes subject to that. They were heavily taxed by the Roman government. The Roman government was ruled by a military dictator at this time when Jesus came in. And so when Jesus started performing miracles, when he came on the scene and gave people hope that something could be different, that they could see healings, that they could see lives transformed, situations changed, their sins forgiven, people started following him. They started listening. So my hope today is that you will see that God doesn't just see our needs as obstacles, but our needs are opportunities for God to reveal who he is. And he did in this Bible. And I'm going to share with you other things. Because one of the things that God is, I can tell you, is he is powerful. He is capable to come into a situation and change it. So we're going to be in our Bibles in John chapter 6, if you have your Bible with you, you can open it up. 
I'm going to be reading from the Bible. And what's neat about this miracle is it's actually recorded in all four of the Gospels. So it's kind of cool. If you want to sometime today or later this week as you're in your devotional time, just open it up and look at the different stories, this same story recorded, because each author records it a little differently. But we're going to be reading out of the book of John, but I'll kind of fill in with some different parts from other of the Gospels. So we're going to start with verse 1. So like I said, people had started hearing that Jesus was doing miracles. They heard that he was healing the sick. So they started, fall, they started trying to find him. Because if you needed a healing, if you needed a miracle, wouldn't you want to try to find the person who was providing that miracle? Like you've heard, if you might have heard in the news about what's happening at, at what, what happened at Asbury Theological Seminary. And I saw all these people. Basically, there was this period of worship where they were just like for hours they were in their chapel just worshiping God and people started flying there to go see what God was doing that's what happens when miracles happen so we're going to start in verse one sometime after this Jesus crossed to the far shore of the sea of Galilee that is the sea of Tiberias now it's said in one of the other gospels that Jesus was tired from performing miracles, so they went away. <laughs> they were like taking a break. They're like, we're gonna go take a break and go on the outside of the town. So they go up on this mountain. And what happened while they're on their break? Well, a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. You see, people hear about Jesus, and so they follow him to the mountain. They want to get in on it. So what, as Luke describes this story in his gospel, he says that they had been there for a long time. John, we don't really get that picture in the book of John, but Luke says that they had been there and that on this mountainside, Jesus started healing people on the mountainside. The people come up and they had been there for a while. And so then this issue arises that Luke talks about where they start, they've been there for a long time. It's getting later in the day. They're on the outskirts of town on a mountainside and they start realizing the disciples in the book of Luke say, well, shouldn't you like go tell the people to go back to town so they can get something to eat? Because now you've got this crowd of people that are on the outside of town and there's nothing to eat. How you, there's like, this says there was like 5,000 people, which really they only counted the men, unfortunately, but there was really more like 15,000 people there. Have you any of you ever been on Mission Bay or Fiesta Island during 4th of July? Yeah, anyone? Okay, those of you who probably don't brave it, you're like, I did when I was younger, or I did when I didn't have kids. Imagine being on Fiesta Island all day, and then you run out of food. Like, you're stuck there, right? And like, there's no store to go by, and that's kind of the picture that we have here in this gospel. You see, you might be encountering a crisis or a problem, but I need to let you know today that our needs are not a surprise to God. This did not catch Jesus off guard, that all of these people were on the mountainside with nothing to eat, no food, no easy way to get something to eat. And so the crowd's needs did not come as a surprise. Jesus knew he is always way ahead of us. One of the things uh, we love to do as a family is we love going to the beach. It's something, I've, we haven't been to the beach in a while. It's been cold and rainy. Disappointing, San Diego, right? We love going to the beach. And every time we go to the beach, my kids say to me, I don't want to get in the water. I'm like, okay, but I know. 
So one time we're going to the beach and we get to the beach and the kids are like, mom, I want to go in the water. Well, guess what mom did? She came all prepared. I've got a change of clothes. I've got their swimsuits. I've got their goggles. I've got their beach and their swim toys. I've got their wetsuits. I was all prepared because I knew once we got there, they were going to want to get in the water. And that's how God is with us. He is way ahead of us, way prepared. God is way better than any mom or parent being super prepared. He understands so much greater than we can. And then this interesting thing happens in the book of John. Jesus asked this question. There's all these people there and they're hungry. And so Jesus asked this question. He looked up and he saw the great crowd coming toward him. And he said to Philip, well, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Now, when I read this at first, I didn't think much of it, but I thought about it for a second. Jesus, who can heal the sick, did he really not know where to buy bread? So this is probably more of a rhetorical question, more of a, well, Philip, what do you think we should do about it? What's your plan? And it says in the Bible that Philip's like, well, if we were to buy bread, that would cost more money than an entire year's salary for a normal human being. And Jesus begins the miracle. But I think Jesus asked this question because God's provision will often follow a test. There's going to be a test. And Jesus is asking us, what are you going to do with this situation? because God wants us to be a part of the miracle. He says to us in our problem, what are you going to do? Do you trust me? Do you think I have the answer? Or do you have the answer? Watch what I'm gonna do. It's in, it, John actually calls this out in his gospel. He said, he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. You see, there's often this process in miracles where there's a need. There's some sort of a need, and there's going to be an answer. God's going to give an answer. It's not always the answer we expect, but there's going to be an answer. But in between the need and the answer is us and our response, how we respond to the miracle, how we respond to the test. Sometimes we don't respond well when there's a need. We have we go into a really difficult situation. I'm gonna share about a time where I did not respond well. When I was about 11 years ago, I was working on staff at a church up in LA and I was serving as the kids pastor. And I had a one-year-old son and I would remember sitting in my office one day and I'm left-handed, so they had these things called landlines where it had a handheld phone. <laughs> You've heard of it, okay, good. And I would hold it up to my ear, and so I'd write down notes. And I remember one time, I couldn't hear really well, and so I just moved it, without thinking much, I just moved it to the other ear and took notes. And I thought maybe it was at the phone, but then I realized it started happening with my cell phone, and it got a little worse. I'm like, this is weird. I, I guess I have some hearing problems. And then I started feeling on the right side of my face. You ever gotten like uh, Novocaine? On your, none, of, none of you have ever had cavities before, so you have no idea what I'm talking about. I've had a couple. Um, and that feeling of Novocaine on the right side, I started feeling like that, a weird feeling, like my face was a little sensitive to the touch. So I went to the doctors and I said, hey, I've got this 
weird thing going on. And so they thought, well, let's send you to physical therapy. I used to play volleyball and um, I have a large one-year-old child. It's probably some sort of back injury or shoulder injury. And so they sent me to physical therapy to see if like stretching out the muscle, if there was some sort of nerve that was being pressed. And after several months of physical therapy, the hearing was a little worse, the facial numbness was a little worse, and they're like, well, it's probably not a muscle thing, so we need to do an MRI of your brain to see what else, to rule out what else might be going on. And so on New Year's Eve, about 11 years ago, I got a phone call from the doctor with the results of the MRI, and I had what they call an acoustic neuroma, which is a tumor of the brain, a tumor in my brain. Now, I was fortunate it was a benign brain tumor, so it was non-cancerous, and it's generally a slower-growing tumor, but it was about the size, about that big, about that big. I don't know if that's, quant I don't remember the exact centimeters. They had the centimeters, but it was about that big. And um, they proceeded to tell me, you're fortunate that if the size is the right size, that you can get this treatment called Gamma Knife. It's the same type of equipment that we use to treat, treat patients, but we have this amazing technology that we laser treat with radiation the brain tumor. And you shouldn't have any problems, you're young, we'll treat it, and you should be fine. So I was scheduled in February to go in for my treatment. And then we find out that I am pregnant, and we're excited that I'm pregnant. Uh, it was our second, we had been wanting to have a second, and so I called the doctor and I said, hey, I'm so excited for my appointment coming up to get the radiation on my brain so I can get this tumor out of me, but I just need to let you know, I don't know if it's gonna be a problem, but I'm pregnant. And the doctor said, we will not be able to do the treatment while you're pregnant. And I'm like, oh my goodness, so what do I need to do? And they said, well, one option is to abort the pregnancy so that you can treat your tumor, or you wait. My husband and I, we were reflecting on it this week, and we didn't really even consider aborting the pregnancy. We just kind of trusted God. But what we didn't know is that when you're pregnant, your body produces something called a growth hormone. It helps the baby grow. And this growth hormone during my pregnancy would further grow the tumor, the tumor more rapidly than if it, I had not been pregnant. And so the side effects of the tumor getting growing further was that the facial numbness was now more, and now it was like half of my mouth was numb as well as my face. My husband's uh, facial hair, sorry if this is TMI, but when he would kiss me, if he had stubble, it would feel like someone was like push, like really hurting me. If you've ever been numb and like someone scratches you, it's like it really hurts. My eye uh, couldn't, could no longer properly produce the tears because of the nerves. And so I had to do eye drops. My hearing got worse. And the, probably the lowest point was, um, if you've ever experienced, I don't know if you've ever experienced vertigo before, but I started ex experiencing really awful, awful vertigo. I remember I was probably about five or six months pregnant and I sat in my office and the room was just, it felt like it was spinning. I'm looking, I'm staring at the screen, trying to write emails, trying to get curriculum prepared for the kids' church for Sunday and I felt like I couldn't do my work. I felt distracted. Like it was like the worst feeling ever. Like nausea, which also didn't help with the pregnancy. 
And I remember sitting on my computer writing an email to all the staff at the church saying, hey, I'm having this really awful vertigo and I just need to shut the door so that I can focus and get my work done. So I just wanted to let you know I'm here, but my door is just going to be shut from here on. And I remember feeling really, really depressed. I didn't know how much worse it was going to get. I didn't know if the tumor was going to grow so much that it would press on my brain stem, which they could cause fluid to build up in my brain, or even facial paralysis was on the table. The uh, paralysis on the right side was also on the table. And I just felt this hopelessness. Like, God, why would you allow this to happen? And I remember I could barely get myself out of bed for a couple of days. And my husband, who's just been a voice of God in really dark times in my life and a voice of wisdom to me, says, Joanne, you work at a church and you're preaching every Sunday to kids about why to believe in Jesus. Either the faith you have is real or it's not. And I realized if I didn't walk in faith and trust with God, then everything I was about was a lie. And so from that moment was kind of the turning point of me just saying, God, I don't know how much worse this is gonna get, but I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna trust God. And so I trusted him. And sometimes it's hard to trust God. But when we trust God, God can take our doubts and he can take our fears and he can allow us to be fully dependent on him. He, we can surrender all of that to him. I want to get back to our story because I want to see how the disciples responded to the test. And I'll finish the story, I promise. <laughs> because they get to see God do the miraculous. So we're going to be back in John, picking up in verse 8. So, one of the disciples, Andrew, he spoke up. They went trying to figure out, okay, God, what are we going to do with this miracle? So they went out into the crowd and they found this boy who happened to have a lunch with him. He had, it says he had five small barley loaves and two small fish. And then Peter says, but how far will that go among so many people? It's like, I can just picture, I can just picture with the disciples. They're like, oh my gosh, she just is like, figure out how to feed these people. So they're like, I don't have any food. Does anyone have any food? Anyone got any food? This one little boy walks up and says, I've got this small little happy meal. <laughs> I got this small little lunch. I don't know what it'll do. And this is Peter's faith. This is how big Peter's faith is. He says, well, we found this, but I don't know what it's going to do. And that's all it took. Sometimes it's just that faith. The Bible says, faith as small as a mustard seed. Sometimes all we need is just that tiny, tiny amount of faith. And even in what Peter said, there was still doubt it's like, how far could this possibly go? I'd found this, but how far could it actually go? Doesn't that sound like faith and doubt all at the same time? And sometimes that's all God needs for us in the test. See, we have to bring to Jesus what we have, whatever it is. And we have to trust him to do the miraculous. Trust him to do the miraculous. Do you trust Jesus to do the miraculous? I don't know what situation is in your life, marriage, finances, your job, 
health. Do you trust Jesus to do the miraculous? Do you believe that he could do the miraculous? Have you given up praying for something that you prayed for for years? Today, my prayer for you is that you wouldn't give up. That you wouldn't give up. Because remember, there's the need that you have. There's our response in the middle. And then there's God's answer at the end. Even though, this is what's so crazy to me about the disciples. They just watched Jesus heal sick people. They literally just walked, watched him heal people from sickness. Maybe we've heard about leprosy. He healed people from leprosy. That he restored sight to the blind. They just watched a miracle. They literally just watched it. And yet, even after just watching Jesus heal someone, they still don't really believe that Jesus could do something with this small little piece of lunch. So in their mind, the disciples, which we do this too, they're like, okay, but Jesus is going to do that miracle, but I don't know if he can do this miracle. Okay, Jesus, you might be able to heal my friend, but I don't know that you can restore my marriage. Jesus, you might be able to do this, but I don't know if you'll be able to do that. Or you'll do it for someone else, but you won't do it for me. Faith is what we can bring to him. Like I said, bring to Jesus what you have. Oh, I don't need, I already said this. Bring to Jesus what you have. And even if what you have is not much. Bring to Jesus what you have, even if what you have is not much. And so the disciples started doing what Jesus asked. They're like, all right, Jesus, you're in charge. We'll just start doing what you asked us to do. One of the gospels talks about how what Jesus told them to do was to go group the people in groups of 50. So the disciples are like, I don't know what Jesus is going to do, but we're just going to start grouping people together and we'll see what Jesus does. So they just started taking those steps. And then verse 11, this is our miracle story. Jesus then took the loaves and he gave thanks those five little loaves, and he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. When they had all had, had enough to eat, he said, Jesus said to his disciples, look at this, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. Not only did Jesus feed all of those people, those 15,000 people with this small little happy meal, there was leftovers. How many leftovers? It says there was 12 baskets full. God didn't just provide the need. He, he provided beyond the need. He provided leftovers so that each one of those disciples, I can picture this, each one of those disciples after the miracle had a basket full. The 12 disciples, 12 baskets. They each had a basket so that when they walked away from that day, they're like, Wow, God really did do that. I mean, this was big, bigger and greater than I could have ever imagined. Can you picture that? God doing something so greater, so much greater, so much more beyond what you could ever imagine. Do we trust Jesus? Do you want to be part of a miracle? I hope that you do, because you actually already are. I was sharing, I was talking with Pastor Mike this week and, and some of our staff that have been here for a long time. This room that you're in, this whole property is a miracle. I'm gonna share just a couple of quick little stories with you. 
So over there, you know, we're doing construction over there to double the size of the elementary space for our kids because our kids are growing. And it's just amazing to see what God's doing. Did you know those rooms over there, if you've been here for a while, you do, used to be a bar. That was a bar. And on Easter Sunday, there's gonna be hundreds of kids over there worshiping Jesus instead. On the corner, the other end of the property, have you ever seen the uh, yogurt shop called Heavenly Yogurt? That used to be a liquor store. That was a liquor store. And outside the liquor store was a payphone where Pastor Mike was telling me that, that people, that drug people would come to that payphone and that was a lot of business. Drug business was done right there. Can you imagine? Can you, maybe some of you are like, you remember this because you lived it here. If you didn't, you're part of a miracle. This property has transformed this community. Can you imagine how eliminating a bar and eliminating a liquor store would change reared next door to a middle school? Imagine how that's changed this area. And you're still part of a miracle. God's doing even more through Tirasana. Do you believe that? You see that trust that Jesus can do anything? It's, it's not just a feeling. Trust is an action. Trust is stepping out of faith. It's trust is bringing to Jesus our faith, bringing him our fears, bringing him our doubts, our, our steps, and we surrender it to him. We step out in faith. And once we step out in faith, God is inviting us to watch. Watch what God will do. Because when you're part of a miracle, when you've experienced a miracle, you don't have any doubt that God is powerful. You don't have any doubt that it actually happened. See, it's easy to be skeptical about miracles when you've never been a part of one. When you see it, when you're a part of it, there's not that same doubt. So when you hear about a miracle, you know that's a miracle. You see, after um, last week's message, our life group, we do a sermon-based life group study. And we, we got into this conversation. Uh, there's a couple in our group that they, for years, they would do a homeless feeding ministry and they would go every Saturday. And, they, and I asked them, like, wow, you guys did that for such a long period of time. Like, I asked, how did you get into that? And he said, well, we were invited to go. And one of the first Saturdays that we went there, we had, normally there'd be about 10 to 15 homeless people that would show up and we would feed them and just become their friends and love on them. But then early on, we showed up one Saturday and about 50 people were there. And we only had the same amount of food we normally prepared, which is for about 10 to 15 people. And I loved his face. He said, I didn't know how we were gonna feed them all, but I just started serving and praying. And he said, as I'm serving them, one by one, I'm serving them. And then the, a person comes up and they've got a dirty bowl. I'm like, I can give you a clean bowl. And the guy says, this is for seconds. He's like, for seconds? We need to make sure everyone's eaten. He's like, has everyone eaten? And everyone says, yes, we've all eaten. And he still had food left over. Do you think he believes that God can do a miracle, right? Yes, let's give God a round of applause. Yes, I don't want to stop that. It was the same with the crowd who witnessed what Jesus did. What did they do when they saw Jesus do that? This is what they said. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. This is the person who's gonna come and change everything, gonna restore everything. God wants to do miracles, but they're happening here today. Did you know all across the country, 
there are churches last year who saw no one get baptized, who saw no one accept Jesus for the first time. And here at Newbreak Church, across our three campuses, we've had 73 people raise their hand and make a decision for Christ. Isn't that amazing? Amazing. We've had 12 people make their declaration of faith through baptism. As uh, Pastor Brian, you know, next week you'll get to see, is it next week is baptisms, right guys? Yes. You'll get to see baptisms. It's an amazing thing to watch changed lives. Those are miracle stories that sometimes we don't get to know everything about. I asked our team to send us, to send me. I said, tell me what God's doing at Tirasana because I'm watching the decision numbers. I'm watching our kids' ministry grow and attendance grow. And I'm like, what is, tell me what God's doing. And uh, Bev Murphy, she serves on our hospitality team here. She sent, she sent me this story. This is a miracle that happened last week, last Sunday. She, um, this week her dad passed away. Suddenly, tragically. But this is what she wrote to me. My dad, Ken, came to church on Sunday here while visiting us from Utah. It was the first time I had, sp it was the first time I had spent time with him sober in over 10 years. He has been a believer for many years, but during this visit, I could see the transformation God had made in him. He fully relied on God and wanted to share his faith with me, knowing it would connect us. Last Sunday's message was the last time he would hear God's word, and it was a miracle for me. We talked about Luke 7.47, he who is forgiven little loves little. It was a great conversation, seeing reality come to my dad of what that meant. After he passed away, Pastor Marcus shared with me that he spoke to my dad and he shared with Marcus that he had to be forgiven for a lot. So he has a lot of love to give. Those words have impacted me so greatly because we did not have an easy life. But my dad knew that my forgiveness was love and he knew how loved he was when he went to be with our father. Miracle, miracle for Bev. Awesome. What's happening in the kids' ministry? They've got... Almost 100 kids coming in the middle of the week to come and hear about the Bible. That's what the story um, Superbook is all about. They're getting the gospel. They're getting the Bible shared with them. And it's multiplying. There's parents that are bringing other kids that have never heard the gospel before. And they're getting to hear the story. You're part of a miracle. Because when we're praying for miracles and we're praying and believing God to do something, it's exciting when it happens. So, my, so I'm back in this place where I've got the vertigo, I've got the hearing loss. And if you've ever had tinnitus before, um, it's like this ringing in your ears. It's, it could sound like locusts, like all the time. Like I still have it, I still have it some, where it's just like a shh, shh, shh all the time. If you've ever had it before, it, in one sense, it wasn't bad with a one-year-old to have a hearing problems, because when I put my head to sleep, I just... Uh, there could be, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> so that's the one benefit. You got to laugh, right? You either laugh or cry. Sometimes you laugh. And I had this awful vertigo, the eye problem, the facial numbness, all of it. And I remember the church, the staff gathered around me. And they prayed. They laid hands on me and they prayed for me. 
and my vertigo went away. I don't know why, I don't know how it went, well, I know how. <laughs> I say that now because even me, sometimes I'm like, well, how God, how did that, it was a miracle. It was a miracle that the vertigo went away. I shouldn't have had any symptoms go away. They don't go away when you have a tumor pressing on a nerve. The vertigo went away. And so time came for me to have my baby. And about two weeks after I had the baby, I got to go in for the treatment. Now I told you that this whole time the tumor's growing, right? So I get in for the treatment and the doctors come in. I, I had to get this headgear put on because when they're doing targeted laser radiation, they have to affix these screws into your skull so that your brain doesn't, your head doesn't move and shoot, the laser shoots some other part of your brain. I know this is a really technical way of describing it. So, <laughs> um, so I looked like I was in the movie Saw with this headgear on. So I'm sitting there in the room. I've, they've drugged me up because they literally, literally screwed bolts into my skull. And the doctors come in and they say, we've got a problem. You never want to hear that. Well, since your tumor's grown, it's actually now too big for this type of treatment. So these are your options. Option one, you do what we would normally do with this size of tumor, and you leave here today with no treatment, and then we schedule you to actually have it, your brain cut open and surgically remove the tumor. Like, what's the other option? <laughs> the doctors say, well, we've never done this before. You never like to hear that from the doctors, right? <laughs> We've never done this before, but we believe that with your size tumor, and we, they, it's crazy, technology is just crazy. Assigned to the, do this treatment, they have a neurosurgeon, a radio, radiologist that just does the radiation, and then like a physicist, radiophysicist. So they're doing all these calculations and they calculated, well, if we don't do your treatment in one session, but we do it over a series of three sessions and target different parts of the tumor each time, it can reduce the length of time that you're under, which they can then reduce the chances of swelling. And then uh, our hope would be that this would still work to shrink your tumor. Because the goal with the radiation is to kill the cells so that they either stop growing or shrink is the best case scenario. And Eric and I look at each other and we're like, I don't know. And I'm so thankful for that neurosurgeon who said to me, if you were my daughter, I would do it. Trust us, we'll do the three treatments and we'll take care of you. And so we did. So I did my treatment. Two to three weeks passed by. I went back in for the second treatment. Another two to three weeks passed by. And all the while, I've got a newborn at home. Thank God for church family and friends that came and supported us during this time. And then I go in for the third treatment. And after about eight months, I go into the doctor. And we see, we look at the scans and we're like, all right, did it work? And they were, I'm so thankful to say that it worked. It killed the tumor cells, the doctor. It's like, it was so cursed. Like, well, it looks like the tumor cells have been um, no longer growing. And it looks like some of those are dead over there. So you're good. Come back in a year. <laughs> so does that mean it's good? Like, yes, it's good. It worked. It worked. But so cool. Can I tell you, over the last 10 years, you know what my prayer was the whole time? The miracle that I wanted to see, I wanted to show up for an MRI and see the tumor just gone. That was my prayer. God, I just want to see a crazy miracle. 
miracle where it's like, it is no longer there. And I know people have had those miracles, but that's the miracle I prayed for. But you know what? I've gotten to see a slow, steady healing from God. First, he healed me of the vertigo. Then the treatment plan worked and they allowed me to not have the invasive brain surgery. Then my hearing started to come back. Then the facial numbness started to go away. Then I no longer had to use eye drops. And can I tell you, the most recent miracle happened here at Newbreak. You see, when you have balance issues because of an acoustic neuroma, your hearing, your eyesight, all of that, I was no longer able, this is going to sound um, weird, but I was no longer able to close my eyes and worship. I, because of the balance, you need your eyesight if you've got some other deficiency somewhere else. Because my hearing was impacted, I couldn't hold balance. So I'm standing there. Here at Newbreak, I was at the Scripps campus, and I remember just closing my eyes. See, I, I was like, not trusting right now, but I know God's healed me. <laughs> standing there, worshiping God with my eyes closed, and I was not falling down for the first time. It was a miracle. I don't know what you need. I don't know what miracle you've stopped believing God or praying for, but I'm here to tell you, God is on the other side of that miracle waiting for you to step out in bold faith. So I'm gonna ask you to do a couple of things today. First, we're gonna pray bold prayers. We're gonna pray and believe that God can heal us, that God can heal our sicknesses, he can heal our problem, he can restore our relationships and our marriage, he can bring our loved ones that are far from God back to God. God is powerful to do it. The second thing I'm gonna ask you to do is I'm gonna ask you to take bold steps. I'm gonna ask you to take bold steps. I, I wasn't planning to do this this morning, but as they were worshiping, I was reminded of the people who gathered around me to pray for me. And I want to do that. I want to give an opportunity for that today. So if, if you're here and you're praying for God to change your situation, whatever it is, I'm going to ask you to take a bold step right now and just stand up where you're at. Right now, stand up. If you need a miracle, stand up where you are. I see people standing up. Don't be afraid. Maybe you've given up believing that God can do something. I can tell you, don't give up. Stand up because you believe that God can come into your marriage, that you can believe God can come into your workplace and situation and he can change it. He can change it. Now I'm gonna ask those of you around to do something brave as well. Maybe you've never been a part of a miracle. Maybe you don't know, this may feel awkward for you, but I'm gonna ask you to do what the disciples do and just do something crazy for God. Would you, if there's someone standing around you, would you gather and go just lay hands on them and pray for them? We're gonna give a time to pray. And I'm gonna, we're gonna give some time to just pray right now. But I know some of you are gonna receive a healing. And would you, as a result of the God doing something, would you tell bold stories? I shared with our team, after we run through our sermons, and I shared with my team that as I was sharing my story during the run-throughs, Satan got in my mind, and he's like, Joanne, that wasn't a miracle. That wasn't a miracle. And I had to say, yes, it was a miracle. It was a miracle. It didn't come exactly the way I thought, but God healed me, and he's continuing to heal me as I have no more facial numbness, no more numbness in my mouth, no more problems with my eye. And I know one day I'm going to have my hearing fully restored, and I'm believing God for that.
Would you believe God today and tell someone and when God does something miraculous in your life? We're gonna pray for each other. And you pray and believe that God's gonna change your situation because he can and he will. Go ahead and pray for each other.